you put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump out immediately. If you put a frog in lukewarm water and slowly turn up the temperature, the frog will never realize that it's being boiled alive. And I feel like that is what is happening with these social media platforms. We don't even realize that we're being boiled alive. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Jordan Paris is a podcast host, entrepreneur, and author, all accomplished by the age of 23. In today's episode, Jordan and I discuss the impact that mainstream media and social media have on the information we receive, and Jordan shares his tactics on finding data and diving deeper. Let's dive right in. Jordan Paris, welcome to the show. Adam, thank you. What's it like being on the other end of the mic? You having hosted your own podcast that's wildly successful, interviewing some of the biggest thought leaders out there, and usually just kind of controlling the show. What's it like being on the other end? It's interesting, especially nowadays, because back when I was in the entrepreneurial general self-helpy world, I'd been interviewed on other shows over probably 70, 80 times. In recent months, maybe the past uh, six months or so, or, or not a little even less uh, since I have pivoted into the world of politics and current affairs, I've really only been interviewed, I mean, man, I feel like two, three times. So it's different for me now. I mean, it used to be pretty comfortable for me on, on this end because I don't have to. I think there's more pressure on me as the host. For one reason or another, there's more pressure on me there. More performance anxiety beforehand going into it, not necessarily during it, but beforehand. So I, I like it. I like being here. Nice. I appreciate your candor too, by the way, because I, I, I don't think I've been interviewed 70 or 80 times. I've probably maybe 20, 25, but, but I do. <laughs> I completely uh, get it and I get your perspective. I think you do a great show. I really like the perspective that you bring to a show. It's a little, it's a little different. And I like your style of just being so direct, which is nice. You don't beat around the bush. So I'm, I'm excited for today's conversation and I'm really hoping to just enlighten people because I, I think you've done a pretty good job of that. And actually, if, if you don't mind, tell me about what caused your pivot because you, you made a pretty big about face. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll probably offend people in this and some people in the past have described me as transparently abrasive. I saw that in a comment, someone saying that about me one time and just someone else's post. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of right, but I kind of don't like that. But that's at times it's just who I am. And so I'll probably offend here as I often do. But I got sick of the general self-helpy content. I, I realized in a world where tensions are rising and real world issues are bubbling to the surface for the first time in quite some time in many years, this general self-helpy content, business content from 
quote unquote influencers is getting really stale. Like who cares? <laughs> so that's, I couldn't bear to talk about it anymore. It's like, you're just talking about these concepts, talking in ideas and other people are out there doing it. You're talking about goals and writing goals and setting goals and other people are out there doing it. And so I, I was just like, I'm done with that. I realized that I couldn't record another episode of Growth Mindset University ever again. That was the name of the prior podcast. And so I, it evolved. I didn't start a new channel. I just changed the name and everything else. It evolved into the Jordan Paris show where we talk about current affairs, conservative values, politics. Interesting. I love the tagline that you have on it. It's a politically incorrect and unapologetic or something. Yes. Like that, right? Yes. <laughs> that's great, man. Oh, that's a good tagline. I'd still love to talk about. Well, actually, let me ask you this. I, I got, a, I got a, a speed round that I've got going on here. What I'd like to do is kind of throw out a bunch of names and just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Sound good? Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan. Great podcaster. Great interviewer. I've never heard him on a podcast, actually. Have you? I've thought about that several times over the years. Yep. <sighs> I know. Yeah. I, I wonder why that is. Or, I mean, has any, I'm sure someone. I, I heard him in one of his podcasts describing in general why he just doesn't do other podcasts. And I don't remember exactly why, but I know he's really not a fan of doing other podcasts unless it's probably his friend like Aubrey Marcus or yeah. which I think he's been on or something like that. You know, it's interesting. That's another, uh, that's why I also enjoy interviewing other podcasts like yourself. I don't know if you've ever noticed or if you're a Howard Stern fan or not, but he is painful to watch being or listen to being interviewed. But meanwhile, wow. I mean, he's the godfather of the medium. Yeah, no, I, I like him as an interviewer. Of course, I don't like his politics, really. <laughs> but uh, and I did. I actually have I heard him in in, in an interview with David Letterman on that Netflix show. And oh, that was the word. That was terrible. That hurt me. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Other people. Uh, Jordan Harbinger. Robotic. <laughs> Interesting. OK, good. Tim Ferriss. Wicked smart. Yeah, he's bright, man. Jordan Peterson. Also wicked smart. Yeah, his story's pretty cool, too, on how he kind of came to light. Uh, Rush Limbaugh. Don't know him. I mean, I obviously I know him, but never have listened to him. So I, I really can't say anything. Yeah, there. I've got to. I don't know him enough. I've got I got kind of got caught up. I have to admit that I was caught up on kind of just the hype, the headline hype. And then I listened to. I have listened to a couple of conversations and, and again, he's a, a very intelligent guy. Again, whether you agree with everything or not, I, I just think it's good to be informed. And I like the fact that you kind of punted without not knowing much. So mm -hmm. kudos and two thumbs up on the credibility. Uh, a couple other people that I think are pretty well that I'm, I'm curious to, to your perspective is uh, James Altucher. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Altucher? Altucher? Mm -hmm. Altucher. Yep. Smart in the entrepreneurial sense of just, I, I'll call him unique, weird. Yeah. Great. Robert Green. What comes to mind with him? Well, honestly, with him, what the first thing that comes to mind are, you know, we're Facebook friends and I see his Facebook post, very, very anti-Trump that kind of dominates his life. But uh, besides that, wicked smart. And I like him a lot. And, and he's a great guy. He's really kind. Kind would probably be the word that I would put on him. Yeah, I've heard and thoughtful is something I've heard. Yeah, he is. 
to, to describe him. What do you, so what do you do? How do you stay mentally uh, sharp? Well, I read most days. I've been most of the past five years. I've been a reader every single day. Just the past month has been a little, it's been broken up a little bit, but I got back on the uh, reading train the last couple of days and, and I listen to audiobooks and, and podcasts and that type of material for multiple hours a day, most days, not every day. But yeah, I'm learning all the time. Good. And then do you keep the speed? Do you speed up the speed at all on the audio? Just audible 1.1x. That's the max I'll do. Gotcha. I've had someone on my show that did a, he's at two. And I'm like, mm, that's, I yeah. I, I, I mean, we could have a debate about that, but I just don't see how that, how you retain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a 1.5er and I actually go back when I catch something and then I'll, mm -hmm. re, I'll, I'll revisit. Tell me a habit that you have, good, bad, or indifferent. Good habits are definitely my reading, exercise, learning habits. It's, it's pretty, again, with the exception of the past month being a little bit rocky, but I'm pretty impeccable with those non, mainly non-negotiable habits. Also, my, yeah, my, my eating habits are spectacular. Again, with the exception of the past month, it's been a little bit, life has been a little bit different for me the past month. So yes, those are my good habits, everything pertaining to taking care of me and my body and my brain. And then bad habits. Yeah, definitely spending too much time on the phone. I got like four hours of screen time every day. Yeah, that's really just screen time in general, computer, phone, because, you know, with work and everything, but also wasting time. I'll spend about 38 to 40 hours per week on the computer. And that does not even include my phone screen time. So those are just brutal habits that yeah, really yeah. Cons literally consume your life. You could do the math there, okay. how much time that consumes every week. So, yeah. Who is Jordan Paris? I like to enjoy life and have a drink or two, but no more than a drink or two. And I like to be, I guess this is just part of my personality for better or worse. I like to be the knower of things. I like to just be the information provider. I guess it inflates my, makes my ego bigger, makes me feel good. And so, so much of this knowledge quest that I'm on, this learning that I do every day is really because of, of that, because I like to be the knower of things, the information gatherer and dispenser. I like to sound smart. So yeah, that's besides that, I just, I love podcasts. So they're really my, my life and whether it's doing podcasts or managing our, our client podcast. And so, yeah. Yeah. I'm passionate about this industry as well. And, and the people like yourself that you're a pioneer. I mean, you started doing this while you were in college, right? Yes, I did. How did that come to be? I, it just came. I don't really know, man, but just came to me and I started a podcast, not really knowing what I was doing and it evolved into something more. Was there anyone in particular that you were following that you're like, wow, this guy does a good show. I like what the impact it's had on me. Yeah. I'm going to start one and here's the idea behind it. Yeah, it was James, James Altucher. It was Lewis Howes. It was those types. Gotcha. And then you know, how did you go about being this guy in college? How were you able to go out and get some of the guests that you've ascertained and to be able to develop the relationships that you did to be able to get to have the type of dialogue that you had on your show? Yeah, I mean, I had a number of tools that I used to find people's emails. I can find just about anyone's email. I'm kind of a wizard with that. I have any a number of tools and I would reach out and com I combine that with my learnings on human behavior and marketing and double binding questions and whatnot. And I, I combined all of my learnings into 
the email structure, the, the email template that I would send every time and I'd personalize it. I would include something that only someone who read their book or consumed whatever content their podcast would know. And so it was unique, personalized, tailored template to them. And uh, I had tremendous success doing that. Uh, but look, Adam, it was really, especially the first two years, it was just me interviewing, wanting to interview anyone with a hint of fame in the hopes that would rub off on me over time. I used the term for a while, borrowed credibility, and it is a thing, borrowed credibility. And so, yeah, it was all really very, very shallow. I would interview anyone with a blue check mark, really. So it's not something that I'm really proud of. And people would ask me all the time, like, how do you do this? How do you interview these people? And I would just I feel like I just objectified these people. Um, like, oh, I got this person. I got that person. So like I said, Adam, I'm really not all that proud of it. Well, let me ask you. Well, first, I got two questions. My first question is, what's a double binding question? I've never heard of that before. A double binding question is when you ask a question that gives people the illusion of choice, when in reality, both options are very favorable to you. So a double binding question would be, does this time work or would you like me to propose a few other times? Hmm. Sounds good. I never heard of that before. Interesting. And now to follow up on what you had talked about, you know, you're not proud of the people that you had or what you've done. I, you know, I'm going to respectfully disagree. I mean, some of these people, whether you agree with how they made their fame or their fortunes, but there was sacrifice involved. They had to be good at what they were doing. I'm sure there had to be a certain level of, oh, I don't know, charisma. I mean, again, I've seen the list of some of the people that you've had on the show and they're people I'd love to have a conversation with. Did it not fulfill you intellectually or what was the falling out that you had in your mind? No, I mean, it filled, it filled my ego. It, it made me feel like I was important and famous. And it was really disastrous for my sense of self because my sense of self was just derived from the people that I was talking to and the blue check marks and the, and the number of followers. And, oh, all my friends know this person. And I get to talk. And it's just like, it gets old, man. Yeah. Gotcha. Were, were you able to maintain relationships? I mean, were there any people that you had that you're like, you know what, I, I really connected to, with this person? And yeah, uh, just, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's definitely more than a few relationships that, that I've maintained over the years. Of course, when you venture into politics, um, a lot of them start to dissipate, though. But I had some good relationships for a good amount of time and some that I do still keep. But, you know, none of them are my best friends, you know? Sure. So let's talk more about like the tipping point of like when you decided to switch the focus, you know, were you always kind of quote unquote woke or did something happen that kind of woke you up? To yeah, I think that the most polarizing and divisive event in our recent history was the George Floyd killing and the social justice warrior response that followed, you know, the black squares and all of that. And so that something about that I knew just wasn't right. And so I didn't want to say anything and I didn't for the longest time, but people kept like tagging me in posts saying like, you need to say something about this. Like I remember one post, it was like, while other influencers have, have 
come out and made a statement about this, I'd still like to see a few more. And they you know, tag like me, Grant Cardone, Mark Manson, my friend Shay, and like our follower accounts and pressure us to like make a, a statement. And I said, you know what? All right. <laughs> I will make a statement, but it's not going to be the one that you like. And so I interviewed a gentleman named Zuby. He's a rapper and he was born in the UK, grew up actually in Saudi Arabia. He does happen to be black and I spent a lot of time in the US and uh, been on you know all the shows, Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro and Joe Rogan. And so he spent a lot of time over here as well. And I was like, this is a very worldly guy. And he's, I tweeted something and he retweeted it. And I was like, Who, uh, who's, who's this guy? So I reached out to him and to talk about Black Lives Matter and whatnot, because he had a lot to say about it from looking at his Twitter feed. And so I, I reached out to him, he responded, and, and we had an, an interview and about Black Lives Matter. And that was really, and if I go back to listen to that interview, which I haven't, um, but if I did now, I'd probably think like, wow, so naive <laughs> at that point, just the tip of the iceberg that we really got into. Yeah, it was before that, before the summer, I was like, I just didn't care about current affairs politics. I really did my best to detach myself from all current affairs, all current events. I didn't want to get caught up in the flow of the current, so to say, and be swept away. And uh, that has completely changed. It's important to know about this stuff. It's important to follow this stuff. And that that was really the the inflection point for me over the summer, specifically the beginning of July, that really turned me on to a lot of this. Wow. So so you did a, an about face. I mean, this was, it was that powerful that it, it impacted you that much. And wh- what did you do to get yourself up to speed with what's going on with current events? What, what were you reading? Who are you talking to? What were the questions? Obviously as a podcaster, I know you're good at questions. <laughs> so I'm sure you had to ask I mean, yourself a lot of questions and then dig into it with the experts. I sat back for a month after or over a month after the George Floyd killing and just observed what was happening across the U.S. That's really what it was. Uh, and I was just asking a lot of questions myself, thinking very critically about this. Like something about this isn't right. And come to find that there's just no data that really backs up black men are being hunted down by law enforcement. That's just not the case. You could cherry pick any killing and publicize it. I mean, there's it's mistakes happen. And, you know, white people are killed. A lot of white people are killed by law enforcement. A lot of Hispanic people are killed by law enforcement. A lot of black people are killed by law enforcement. But data does not support that black people are disproportionately being hunted down more than these other races. And so I just, and, and the Marxist revolution in the happening, the destructive revolution happening in the streets, the, the burning, the looting, the murdering in the streets, that happened as a response to essentially misinformation that black men are being hunted down by law enforcement. I just thought very critically about the whole thing. That's what it was. I wasn't really consuming much. I was just seeing that hmm, something is a little bit off here. Gotcha. And then where are you getting your sources and what is it that you're trying to accomplish with you, this new podcast platform? Yeah, man. So I consume any number of of sources, a a lot of different podcasts, radio hosts, and also just read the Constitution, read the Bill of Rights. I And I read all sorts of books. I love Mark Levin. I'm a fan of data. My friend Amir Odom, 
He comes out on Instagram with some documents every now and then like that has great data in it. And he cites like all .gov sources. So I love the information that, that he provides. Can, can you, sorry to interrupt, but can you share like where we'd be able to find that information? Is it, he spells yeah. his name or if you know Yeah, his, at yeah. Amir X Odom. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. So yeah, a lot of different sources. I don't necessarily watch the news. I don't watch Fox, really. I mean, I'll probably do it once every month or so or two months. And but I'll also watch the Communist News Network. I'll watch the other. Uh, I, uh, seriously, I I, yeah. I consume just about everything. So and I formulate my own opinions and I, I love data. So, yes. <laughs> Excellent. W- what are your thoughts on social media? Yeah, I think it's the greatest crime against humanity ever, ever committed. And it's been like this bait and switch sort of thing where, you know, the term, the ever evolving terms of service have have really been a trap. I I think that social media signing up for these accounts, a fascist book, Instagram, Twitter, whatnot, 10, 15 years ago, or five years ago, or whenever you signed up, I think that it's been a huge trap because people really didn't know what they were signing up for. Nobody reads the terms of service. Nobody reads the data policies, but I do. And I have a number of things highlighted in there. I can pull it up if you want me to. Yeah, I would love to. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah, those are some things that I think that people know about them. They know superficially, but I don't think they've done what you're doing in terms of reading through them, highlighting them, really digesting what this stuff means. Yeah. And what really got me is the boiling frog fable. Have you ever heard about that? No. So you put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump out immediately. If you put a frog in lukewarm water and slowly turn up the temperature, the frog will never realize that it's being boiled alive. And I feel like that is what is happening with these social media platforms. We don't even realize that we're being boiled alive. So Jordan, if you were able to cite some of these statistics or some of the insights that you were just you just referenced, I'd, yeah. I'd appreciate Yeah. So from the Instagram Help Center, their data policy, the information and content you provide, we collect the content communications and other information you provide when you use our products, including when you sign up for an account or share content and message or communicate with others. It can also include the data that we collect. What we collect can also include what you see through features we provide, such as our camera. So we can do things like suggest masks and filters that you might like, or give you tips on Instagram. As so, you could they could see they could see you banging your girlfriend. They could see, uh, they, yeah. Now this is a little bit. I, I've heard some people on the internet say that the suggest mask part. It's like, oh, if you're not wearing a mask, they can see and suggest. And, and be like, hey, put on a mask regarding COVID. However, I almost give them the benefit of the doubt here. Mm-hmm. So we can do things like suggest masks and filters. Filters are obviously those things when on your story, like there's all this different stuff here. I don't know. I don't really use that. Mm-hmm. But there's different filters. And I don't know what they're defining as mask. But it could be interpreted to mean that, oh, if you're not wearing a mask, we can, we can give you a notification and, and suggest one. However, has that happened yet? No. Will it happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we okay. also collect contact information, such as an address book, call log, or SMS log history. So they have access to every, they know who you've been calling. They know all the text messages you've sent. They have a whole history of that. Uh, and they know everyone in your address book. Yeah, I get the address book thing, right? Mm-hmm. Just to be able to connect with people on Instagram so that they can su- suggest people like that. But why do they need access to your call log? 
or your SMS log history? Why do they need all your text messages and calls? I don't really understand that. And they twist these things like this is what we use it for, you know, for these features to make it a great platform for you. And these are double-edged swords, really. It's like, oh, we use it for this, but it's really intrusive. I like, I really am not comfortable with these platforms knowing all this about me. With the products page, uh, they have information. If you've ever used that, they have your credit or debit card number on file. They have your shipping and contact details. So they know where you live. They have your credit card numbers. They have, they know who you're calling. They know who you're texting. They have access to your camera. There comes a point where all these companies have all this information about you, everything I just described and so much more. Now think about Apple and their Apple card. Shortly, they know everything that you purchase with that card. Apple with the iPhone, with the Mac, they know exactly where you are. They know your habits. They know your, They know when you're on your phone. They know what you're doing. They know, more importantly, yes, they know where you are at all times. And at some point it becomes like checkmate. They've kind of got you backed into a corner. <laughs> and, and what are you going to do? You're not going to get off these platforms like Instagram and fascist book, especially Instagram, because over the past several years, 10 years, so much of our identities are being derived from our Instagram profiles, our Facebook profiles. And so it becomes really hard to delete these profiles because our identities are essentially now Instagram identities. I mean, even me knowing all this, what am I going to do? Delete my Instagram profile? No, actually, not yet. And, and there's so much more. Even just stupid little things like Instagram, they know your battery level on your phone, available storage space, access to your GPS location, camera or photos. I get the camera or photos thing, but nevertheless, I have access to all of it. Information about other devices that are nearby or on your network. So every device on your network, not just your phone, but everything. They have access to information about all those devices. It just, it's... <laughs> Location-related information. We use location-related information, such as your current location, where you live, the places you like to go, and the businesses and people you're near to provide blah, blah, blah. Oh, to provide, personalize, and improve our products. Yeah, they just, they put forward like, oh, this is why we use it, to personalize the products and, and stuff like that. But it's just too much. Where you live. How are they getting dresses? away with this? Because nobody reads this stuff, Adam. Nobody reads this stuff. We use the information we have, including from research partners we collaborate with to conduct and support research and innovation on topics of general social welfare. <laughs> it's just bizarre. We don't sell any of your information to anyone and we never will. That's a big lie. Yeah, I don't believe that. We share information with law enforcement. Great, <laughs> great, great. Your information may be stored may be transferred or transmitted to, stored and processed in the United States or other countries. So we may transfer it to another country. We may send it to them. And this, by the way, this data policy, the date of the last revision of this Instagram help center data policy is August 21st, 2020, for the record. Wow. Explain or share a recent experience that you had with TikTok. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I created a TikTok uh, towards the end of December and I posted my first video. It was me in the airport and I said, just went through Fort Myers airport, went through the, was on the plane and, and now I'm walking through the Philadelphia International Airport 
haven't worn a mask the whole way. Nobody said anything. And look, I've done my research and I've decided I'm done wearing the mask. This is psychological warfare and I'm done playing the game. It was a 17 second video and it, the first day it was interesting. It got like, I posted that at night and it got like a hundred views or something. The next day, 3000, the next day, a hundred, then 3000 more the day after that. And then all of a sudden I'm like on the phone with someone who is now my girlfriend and I, uh, I'm, we're watching it go to like 25,000 views, 50,000 views, 75,000. By the time I, we got off the phone, it was at like 120,000 views. It was crazy. This is the course of one conversation you're, you're watching. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is the course of one conversation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, a couple of days later I had another surge. It was up past 200,000. And then I just kept getting, it seemed like it was getting a thousand views an hour at a minimum for a few days for, for like a way more than that. Really the whole time that video was up. There's some foreshadowing there. <laughs> and so what happened is, yeah, it got to about 500,000 views, 49 and a half thousand likes and 5,000 comments on just my first video. I, in, in two days, I surpassed the amount of followers on TikTok that it took me six and a half years to build up on Instagram. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is really powerful. I was telling my friend, my friend's like, 200,000 followers by the end of February, bet. Like it would have been so easy. Like this platform was amazing in terms of organic discoverability. And then I, you know, I, I uh, put out some follow-up videos and uh, regarding politics and, and I kept seeing more success and I was doing very well until about the first week of January, I believe. And I got a notice on one of my videos that I, I posted it right before I went to bed and I come to see that when I woke up, it had about 8,000 views or 7,000 views and uh, almost a thousand likes. And like, it was starting to go. It was going to be another one of those viral videos for sure. And they took it down and said it violated the community guidelines. I appealed it. They put it back up. Awesome. Okay. And then on January 7th, which was really just the great purge of conservatives on social media, which is continuing to happen today, obviously. So sad. That day I woke up with two of my TikTok videos taken down and uh, appealed them. And they both, they both came back like, no, nah, they're not coming back up within a couple of minutes. You don't need to do anything more. You don't need to take any further action. In other words, you can't do anything about this. So that was pretty demoralizing. Then I tried to post some videos. One video that was taken down, one of the videos was my 500,000 video. The, the airport one. Yeah, the airport one. And then I notice all the rest of my videos on my account, the ones that are still up, they've magically stopped receiving views. Hmm. You know, maybe they'll get like two views an hour or 20 an hour, but they're done. Like they're just, they've come to a screeching halt after, even though all my videos the day before were still like going and I was still receiving, I would check my phone. I'd see 99 plus notifications every time on TikTok. Like after like 10 minutes go by, I'd see 99 plus, 99 plus. And I was getting followers, likes, likes, comments. <laughs> That's a, uh, TikTok's a very addicting platform. And, you know, they've designed it that way obviously, uh, as many of these platforms have, but TikTok, I think is just the best. Everything's geared towards just addiction. I mean, you go to your profile and there's, there's a big statistic on your profile on everyone's profile, the amount of likes that you've gotten. 
when you add a hashtag to your post, it filters hashtags by how many views each hashtag has gotten. It's just, it, it's really uh, interesting, that platform. But anyhow, and then I post, so that day, the 7th, I post more videos and I find out that I've been shadow banned. None of my videos are really allowed to get more than two or 300 views. And uh, I've posted videos since then and they just, yeah, they're not really allowed to be discovered. And only like a small portion, very small portion of my followers are the ones that see and like those videos. You go through my likes nowadays and it's only people who uh, follow me. And even when the engagement rate is like ridiculous, say one out of three or four people that see my video are liking it, which is ridiculous. The viral video, the, the first video I ever posted, the one that got 500,000, only one out of 10 were liking it. I had videos go to 35,000 views where only one out of 12 or 15 were liking it. And here I am now, I post videos that one out of four, one out of five, one out of 10 are liking it. And it's just, it doesn't do anything. So my TikTok account has become worthless at this point. And then just the other day, another one of my videos taken down. And it's just so sad. What, what's going on there? What do you, what do you think is, do you think someone, there was a flag because of, you know, what you posted, obviously being controversial <laughs> today. And then now you're kind of a marked man. Do you think that's what's going on uh, here? It's, it's because I'm pushing conservative ideas. And so that's really the only problem. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about masks. That was what prompted this thing to go off. I, I would love to, you know, when did you feel confident enough in your knowledge that you don't need to wear a mask? And if you don't mind, kind of share some of the insights that kind of drove that logic. Yep. I'll start from the beginning. I played the game just like everybody else. We all should have played the game, especially in the beginning, March, April, May. And I was very good. I followed all the rules. I, I even used gloves in the grocery store. And uh, I did it all. I was very good, very obedient. And then in, in June, I was driving my grandparents from Florida to, to New Jersey because they didn't want to get on a plane. And, and I was telling, <laughs> we were all going to meet at the beach house. And I was telling my mother, I was like, everyone should quarantine for seven days prior to uh, meeting at the house because uh, the grandparents are going to be there. Wouldn't that make sense? And I prepared myself. I didn't go out with friends that week uh, so that I could drive them up. And then it was supposed to be like a week-long trip. I ended up, uh, just because of their very poor health, ended up staying there for two and a half months to actually take care of them. And so... Over the course of that time, I didn't hang out with anyone my age. I didn't hang out with anyone. I was solo dolo hanging with my grandparents all day, doing my work. And man, it was tough. And then in August, but I was doing the right thing. In August, I hung out with someone my age and I brought her into the house. And that was a big deal. It started a huge, huge fight. Like ridiculous. I just started to realize how silly it was. Like, I can't like, how, what's the hurt if I bring one person into the house, my bedroom is, you know, you walk in the front door, you take a couple of steps, you turn right, there it is. What is the hurt? If we just hang out there, hang out on the deck, what am I supposed to do? I'm a, I was 22 at that time. I guess, yeah, I'm 23 now. Uh, I'm 22. I haven't hung out with someone my age. I haven't hung out with someone outside of my family in almost three months, 
but yeah, that was a problem and started a huge fight and actually a falling out with my grandfather, which persists to this day, believe it or not. And so at that point, I was really very sick of the unreasonable rules. And then come to find when you really go on the CDC uh, website and you see the death rates, especially for my age range, I mean, pretty much for anyone, even if you're like 75 and above, the, de- the, the survival rate is like 95%. Uh, I could be a little bit off, but it's still really high. But for me, like 99.99, you know, it's just there is no there's really no risk. I feel like I'm more, I'm probably more likely to die in a car accident than die of coronavirus. And this goes for the majority of age ranges. And then I started to see that this excellent information as presented by Tom Woods, and you can go to jordanparis.com slash EP223 or tomwoods.com slash COVID for the video and the sources. Uh, But I started to see that you look to every country, you look to countries that had mask mandates. You look to states that had mask mandates. You look to countries that had lockdowns. You look to states that had lockdowns. And you see across the board that countries and states that had mask mandates actually have more cases and more deaths. Countries that had, and states that had lockdowns, they actually have more cases and more deaths. And I was like, this is just so stupid. And I was right then and there in August, just, or September, whenever I whenever I saw that and and dug deeper, I'm done with this. In the age of scientific fascism, where only some science is is to be heard, only some scientists are to be put on TV, we only ever hear one side and the other side is to be uh, shunned and condemned. I mean, that's not real science. Real science is you put both arguments together, both opposite arguments together, and you formulate conclusions based on conflicting ideas, conflicting science, conflicting data. And that's just not what we're seeing today because in the COVID cult, only only some, uh, you know, the, the leaders, the leaders that we see, the, the Fauci's of the world and these other scientists on TV, the leaders are never wrong. And evidence to the contrary is to be shunned. And people who don't believe it are also to be shunned and ridiculed. And so I, I decided then that I'm done with it. And instead of, I, I don't want to be blindly obedient anymore. Yeah, so I really don't. I, I really don't wear the mask unless I absolutely have to. So, why why do you think more people don't know about Tom Woods? I, I, he had a he's put out some really insightful information, and I've asked a bunch of people their perspective on Tom Woods, and, and like nine out of ten people don't know who he is, and and he's a, he's a brilliant guy, and he brought up some pretty interesting. One of the things that actually did, you just referenced, I think it was. California and Florida, where he showed a comparison and he's like, Hey, tell me which one of these do you think? And he just showed numbers. He's like, which one of these do you think is California or, you know, and which one's Florida and it, the numbers. Uh, are yeah. And it's more than that, dude. Like you, as you know, it's, it, you could do that same with country after country, state after state. But why do you think people don't know who he is? And then there's other people too. I forgot the guy's name, but, but he was, he's, he's on what's called a quack list. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. And yeah, uh, Paul check. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Paul check. And then if you start looking at who who some of the other members are that are on this quote unquote quack list, these are just some pretty impressive individuals that have the only thing that really stands out. And again, I haven't done, I don't claim to be a connoisseur of this, but the only thing that stands out to me is that they just have divergent thinking. Yeah. And I mean, the mainstream doesn't want you to know who they are. 
the communist news network doesn't want you to know who they are. It doesn't fit their narrative. Yeah. So, so what can people do that are listening? Who are other people that, and again, I don't want to necessarily promote conservative thinking. I mean, again, I, I respect your perspective, but I respect just all perspectives. What have you found to be like good data, like true data-driven sources? Because obviously with data, you can put a spin on it if you know how to kind of play with data. But, uh, you know, who are some, some sources that you respect, even if yeah. they are kind of coming from a different side of, of where you stand? Yeah, you can see the death rates on CDC. You can, I'm just so nauseated by these idiots in gyms and running outside wearing masks. I mean, you could see that the World Health Organization literally says, do not do this. It's disgusting. You're breathing bodily fumes into a a cloth that's that's getting like it, it's it's all the condensation it's just it's disgusting it's disgusting so you can see this from the world health organization you can see this from cdc uh, and you you realize especially start to lo- start to look into the testing too how they're doing this and what it's actually testing for and the discrepancies in the numbers, the, the number of cases and deaths, and how accurate really is that? Start to look into that, and you'll realize that you can absolutely reject the stay home, remain terrified, question nothing narrative and just live your life and let others live their lives too. The moral of the story with COVID is this it's live and let live. Mm. I mean, what are your thoughts on some of the weird masks that people are wearing, like the gaiters and just some of these other, I guess, things you would, they call masks? I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, you and I both live in Florida, so we don't. Luckily, no, no, I'm, I'm in uh, New Jersey. I'm oh, in, I'm oh in New Jersey. Uh, what am I talking about? Who did I talk to from Florida recently? Yeah. Jeez, I knew that because I know you're from Hoboken. Yeah. Yes. So, oh, yeah, you're in a hysteria capital of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I go out. And because uh, I, you know, I've spent uh, a lot of time in New Jersey the past few months and in the past year, I guess. And I'm just embarrassed that we got to communicate like this with claws over our face. We're, everyone's forced to lie all the time. Like we're, we're just forced to like play this game. And it's just, it's disgusting. It's nauseated. It's embarrassing. It's like, gosh, I, I don't even want to be a part of this society. Like, is, it, is this even worth being part of it? It's embarrassing. I feel embarrassment when I'm in the gym with other people wearing masks, 20-year-olds wearing masks. It's embarrassing. To me, I just feel... I've gone We've through, all been duped. Yeah, uh, that's... Yeah, I've gone yeah. through an emotional roller coaster because at the end of the day, I've just felt really bad for people because they've kind of... They're caught up on the headlines. They're caught in how the social media works or you're getting the echo chamber of news articles that's feeding what you've looked into or what you looked up. So they're getting the same stuff that they're not thinking. And then also that just, they're just so scared when there's, can I tell you, Adam, if, if we did not have the communist news network, if we didn't have MSNBC, if we didn't have the Washington compost, if we didn't have the New York slimes, if we didn't have Fox, if we didn't have, if you just eliminate the media, the world would be a much better place the hysteria would be gone so i don't know Uh, it's just that it's been it's all been politicized yeah well then you know the thing that's also we're, we're one of the biggest issues that i have with this is that so much time and resources has gone into this and it's taken away from a lot of the other social 
problems that we're dealing with and now with all the problems of suicide and just ancillary issues going to right. hospitals. When you, And that's the other thing. Yeah, you know uh, from Tom Woods that these lockdowns actually hurt far more than they help. They yeah. kill more people well, yeah. than they save. Yeah, I mean, you know, hurting your immune system. I mean, just not getting access or people that aren't going. Think about the people that missed their cancer screening. Yes, the preventable cancer deaths. I was just going to mention, yes. So a lot of them. Yeah. So, so that's, to me, that's the troubling. Like, is this well, elderly people losing the will to live, the terrible mental health effects, the suicides yeah. among young people, all very sad and adds up to, unfortunately, more hurt than help. Yeah. There's something that you mentioned earlier that with the whole social media issue, there was a, a movie called The Social Dilemma. Mm -hmm. And in the social dilemma, one of the things that they talked about are they showed the graph of love, how social media has grown and it like correlates yep. to suicide. Yep. Like it's a crazy, it's absolutely yep. crazy. So. Yeah. You can, you can see with the, there was a brilliant piece in the Atlantic several years ago about, yeah, pretty much the same thing. It might, but for all I know, the, the, whatever was shown in the social dilemma may have been from this, but you know, with the invention of the iPhone or the inception of the iPhone. And I believe 2007, the amount of teens who feel lonely, depressed, suicidal, number of suicides, the amount of dates people go, teens go on all worsening. That's bad. It's really bad. It's scary. I mean, that's, you know, my business is about after several people. years, after many years of improvement, by the way. But anyhow, continue your business. No, I mean, yeah, my business is all about teaching people how to build relationships, and and they really need this help now more than ever because they're so distanced socially now as well. Uh, yeah, terrible. Know. So I can't. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that phrase again. Social distance. It's just physically just it's so so stupid. These propagandic phrases that they somehow developed on like day one. I can't. Ugh, it's disgusting. <laughs> Jordan, I know that we're... Fear other people. Fear other people. <laughs> oh, I, can't man. Well, I can't imagine what this is doing to... We won't know for a while what this is doing to to kids, young kids growing up right now. This is... Uh, Four-year-olds. This is... I can't even imagine. This is terrible. Well, I'll tell you. Here's something interesting. So I, I've heard this twice, but I have a very close friend who's got a son who is now afraid to... Will not go to school and right. is afraid to go outside because... They're fearing it's in their head that they're killing. I think they're, oh, I'm afraid to kill grandma. Or yep. I think was the exact. I mean, that's, I mean, that's extreme, but that's out there. That's real. And what's Terrible. the effect? What's the effect of that going to be when that's what they've grown up with? Like, how is that going to affect society? Uh, I know a bunch of people that are single that haven't been on dates, like Dude. not been on a date since March. Dude, um, I, I feel you. Oh my God. It was, can I tell you, it was horrible. I was thinking, but I was single like the whole time. And I was thinking that, wow, if only I had, I had found a girlfriend before <laughs> all of this, I was like, now, I mean, now I'm never going to find a girlfriend. <laughs> and so it took me getting stop, uh, to stop playing the, the effing game mm -hmm. to reject it took me rejecting the stay home, remain terrified, question nothing narrative and getting the balls to go to an event with 5,000 people, a conference with 5,000 people over, over a weekend and I actually met a girl that we ended up starting dating. And so it took, I, and I'm like, thank God I got over the, the stay home, remain terrified, question nothing narrative that even I succumbed to in the beginning.
How many people died from that 5,000 conference? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Probably none. It was a conference of like 18 to 25 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're good. They're totally good. Jordan, this has been a great conversation. I'm, I really appreciate your perspective. I, I would encourage people to check out your podcast. I think you get some great guests. You really kind of challenge the status quo. You come very informed. And I just think more people, whether they even, whether they even agree with you or not, I encourage them to listen to you just to think, just to think about the other perspective, because I do believe that we are dominated by one perspective and and I'm sure it's in most people's best interest and they're kind of caught on the cycle of this is what we're told and they're right yeah. and they're virtuous, or at least they feel they are because nobody, you know, even myself or you, we probably feel we're virtuous, but, yes. but uh, well, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just want more people just to, to get your perspective. I, I really think that it's valuable. So I, I appreciate you sure. making today happen. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insights. And uh, I'm really just happy that you and I've connected. Sure. I, I want to, leave with one unifying, one statement that we probably most people can unify around. Okay. Just unplug from mainstream media and the news. They're just manipulating you. They thrive. Their bottom line thrives off of fear, hatred. Hate gets clicks. They thrive off of creating problems where there really are none, creating conflict where there really isn't any. And so that's all they are. That's what the media is. They create conflict where there is none. They create problems where there are none. They manipulate you. They make you feel fearful and hateful and resentful. And just unplug from that. And your life will be a lot better. Jordan, thank you for coming on. Make it a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.